Hey, what I need you to do, if you haven't said hi to a neighbor already, turn to your neighbor, tell him how much you know about this jersey on me. Go. Okay. Awesome. We'll find out some of your hockey knowledge shortly. But first, if you would, as um, Sarah mentioned, our common good teams are wanting to get those started today. And as she invited you at the end of this service, we're going to have two tables here and you'll have opportunities to sign up for these common good teams. Last week, we, we looked at 1 Corinthians twelve seven, right? And it says that now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the, come on, for the, for the common good. We need some common good going on here. Let's roll this video. Okay, so as you look at that yellow sheet, let me explain what you see. It you, you have your the team name there on the left side. Next to that column, you have kind of what we'd expect you to be able to do, and kind of the perfect fit for you there in italics is, hey, this is probably the kind of person that's going to do good at this. Then we've got kind of the time requirement that we could see it having, and just you know, you know, we're not going to keep you forever. You know, this church kind of operates on a on a on a collegiate academic schedule, and that we kind of have a four and a half month spring, winter, spring trimester, a three-month summer trimester, and a four-month fall trimester. So if any one of those points you need to bail out, hey, that's okay. And uh, lastly, you see who's going to coordinate it there. But what we need you to do is we need you to sign up at the end of the service at one of the 11 clipboards representing these 11 teams. And you signing on there is not you giving your life away and saying, I'm committed forever, and oh no, there goes all my time. But you're just saying, hey, I'm interested in this. Can someone contact me? I want to find out more. Okay. And it's just going to be fun. What I get excited about is when I just look at you, you're really good looking, A. But B, there are so many gifts and talents. And there's so much fruit that's just waiting to be born here. And um, we, we need some of you to step up the plate and see it happen. Okay? So that's common good. Awesome. Hey, I want to thank you for your generosity. You know, last week we actually had the biggest collection that we've ever had between the Haiti uh, collection and then just our tithe. It was the biggest amount we've ever taken in. I just say thank you, glory to God, for being a generous people. It's a wonderful time, and as you continue to give for Haiti, we'll report to you how that's going. So thank you so much. We are, for a number of reasons, super excited about 2010. And um, as Sarah mentioned, after at our family meeting today, we're going to discuss what we're thinking in terms of space. And I just want you to know, I just want to keep this out before you. Don't stop coming and don't stop inviting people because we're a little bit crowded because there's a few of you sitting on the floor over there, okay? We are working towards this and sooner than you may realize, wait, we may be in a different location. And uh, we're, we're just working hard. Just want you to know that and uh, don't stop coming because of that, all right? Another thing that gets us really excited about 2010 is just the direction we're headed, and the space is just a part of that direction. But I want to um, take you on where um, I feel like God's bringing us in this, in this season um, through the messages and just the direction of the church. You know, we're finishing up next week with our Go With The Flow series, which is kind of overflowed into this semester. And after that, we're going to do what's called Harbor 101, and we're just going to go through our vision and values as a church. You know, you see on the bulletin these things we've written. Um, haven for the broken, launch to the nations. You know, you see things like loving God, sharing life, uh, proclaiming Jesus. Okay, we want to, we just want to walk through those things as we go into February and March and just tell you about, hey, these are the things that get us excited and why they do. 
And then we get to Easter, and I'm getting really excited about Easter. Easter typically is a time where we invite the community to be with us. We're going to do it again, this time through postcards. We're going to be sending a mailing out to the community saying, join us in Easter. And the sermon series after Easter is designed for just average Beverly citizen. And here's, here's what we're going to look at after Easter. We're calling it the Why God Why series. And Why God Why? We're going to look at the questions like, hey, where is God when it hurts? We're going to look at the questions like, why does God not seem to answer my prayers? Questions like, what about science in the Bible? Why, is it such, why, why, is there be so much, why does it seem to be so much tension here? Why are people getting upset about it in school systems and such? We're going to look at, um, what else? What are some of our why God why questions? Uh, oh, hip- hypocrisy. <laughs> why, why the organized church? Why do leaders fall? You know, all that sort of stuff. All a lot of typical things like that. So that, that series is designed, if you've got a friend who's pretty, pretty not excited about church, that's the time to get them here because we're going to look at those questions. And my feeling is that it's not just people who don't know God, but it's even believers, it's Christians that often we all wrestle these questions. Do we not? That's going to be a fun series. After that, we get to D-squared, I'm calling it. Discipline to go deep. We're going to look at some of the classic Christian disciplines like prayer and service, fasting, some of those things. It's going to be great. And then we get into our summer, uh, July and August. And that, that whole series is going to be um, we're, we're, we're looking to invite families here, and it's going to be called Home Improvement. We're going to look at what God says about, the, uh, about work, about money, you know, everything pertaining to the home, sex, woo, okay? We're going to talk about <laughs> marriage, singleness, okay? You think of your home and just what goes on in your home, and um, we want to talk about it, Home Improvement. And then we get into the fall of this year. We're going to come back with a series on the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, probably a little bit brief on the Holy Spirit, so we just spent like 12 weeks on Him uh, this, this last year, but um, it's going to be wonderful, okay? So God's given us vision, and, uh, and, and space is a part of that vision, and, and we just want you to come along for 2010. We're excited. Amen? Amen. We're ending Go With The Flow next week with a topic that I'm just going to say the word and just watch the reaction. Tongues. There we go. <laughs> Jenna's uptight. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Here's what I want you to do. I want, um, let's put on my email address up there on that screen. Okay. If you have a question about tongues, the spiritual gift of tongues, I want you to email it to me. Okay. I welcome that. Some of you have the Jenna reaction, which is, right, get a little uptight. Others of you are kind of more like Paul and you're like, hey, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. What's your problem? You know, and, uh, we're just going to try to get a good, solid teaching on it. Amen? Amen. So you got any questions, you uh, email them to me. Cool. Hey, <clears throat> do me a favor, and um, <clears throat> if you can, extend a hand towards me. I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into it, okay? Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you for your goodness, and like Josh prayed earlier, we need the Word of God to transform us. God, I'm just asking God, whatever is of you, let it come through. Whatever is just of my flesh or whatnot, I pray that would fall to the side. We want God to speak today, not man. That's what we need. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, today we are talking about the prophetic, our prophecy. And a really simple format today. We're going to talk about what it is. I'm trying to make this not fall. There we go. What it is, what it does, and how do we do it. Okay, what it is what it does, and how do we do it. That's our little format today. So I'm going to start with this definition. The definition's mine. I'm, sorry, I'm sure I've borrowed from a few people, but as far as I can tell, when I look at the prophetic, I think that it is an articulation of the heart or the mind of God for a particular people in a particular situation. 
And often the prophetic message contains illustrative elements, right? Things like picture and story. And sometimes it has predictive elements, right? Sometimes there's things that do have to do with the future. And that's kind of the prophecy that we get really astounded by, okay? So prophecy is, it's an articulation of the heart of God. You know, what's God thinking? What's God feeling about this particular situation, this particular person in time? Often with illustration or story, and also sometimes with prediction. That is the prophetic, okay? And I couldn't think of a better illustration than this one um, that I'd like to share with you now from 2 Samuel. Let's set it up. Some of you remember King David. King David in Acts was given such a great uh, eulogy, I guess, in that it says that he fulfilled God's purposes for his generation. But we know that David was not a man without issues, <laughs> shall we say, right? You remember, do you remember the story? David committed adultery with Bathsheba. And in order to cover up that sin, he ended up murdering Uriah the Hittite, um, Bathsheba's husband. So first adultery, then murder. Ooh, right? Not so good. And so God's got a message for David to get his attention. Of course, that message simply is that, hey, you've despised the word of the Lord, <clears throat> and uh, you've done what's evil in my eyes. But does God just speak to him in that way? He does not. He sends Nathan the prophet, and he gives Nathan a powerful illustration to give to David. Watch this. I'm in 2 Samuel 12. 2 Samuel 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Good thing it was the Lord sending him. Otherwise, Nathan probably have his head cut off from what he said. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. This cute little sheep. It was like a daughter to him. Okay, maybe this guy has issues. Anyways. <clears throat> Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. Ooh, David's, David's getting a picture of this thing. And what's David's response? David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he said such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan the prophet, having given this awesome illustration, says what? Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Ooh. Okay, wow, powerful prophecy, right? This is what God was thinking about David at that time. Nathan articulated it, and he illustrated it pretty well. I mean, it was God's illustration. Then, of course, he does go on to give some predictive things. It's not looking so good for David. He says, you know... Um, down at verse 11, out of your household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is closer to you, right? And he will lie with him, with your wives in broad daylight. His own son, Absalom, is going to fulfill all these things. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before the Lord. David's wonderful response, right? The thing that separated David from his predecessor, Saul, was his response here in verse 13. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Okay, David, receiving this prophetic word, was able to say, hey, I sin. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken your way, your sin. You're not going to die, right? Na David deserved to die, but you're not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. Wow, 
What a prophecy from Nathan, right? Pretty powerful. And of course, all over in the Old Testament, any of the, any of the 16 or so prophets who got books named after them because they're prophecies, they carry all these elements too, right? They're articulating the heart of God for a people. Isaiah, what's he saying? He's saying, hey guys, we need to stop committing adultery. And guess what? God's Lord of the whole earth. He's Lord of all the nations. He does what he wants. And by the way, there's comfort coming for you, right? That's Isaiah, what he was articulating. <clears throat> Jeremiah was, was um, able to articulate, hey, when, when things were totally falling apart, right? Jeremiah was able to say, hey, the reason everything's falling apart for us is because we've gone after foreign gods. And so now God's going to let us serve foreign peoples for about 70 years. Jeremiah articulated the heart of God in that time. All of them used really powerful illustrations, right, by God. I can't think of a better illustration that was used than in the prophet Hosea. You know Hosea, right? God actually had him live out his prophecy. Hosea was asked by God, invited by God to marry Gomer, a prostitute. And, uh, <laughs> you know, just to, to, to be a reflection of God's love for prostitute Israel, right? Israel kept giving themselves over to other gods. But God loved them. And, and Hosea's job was to show, demonstrate God's love in this. Kelsey and I had a good time naming our child. Now imagine if God asked us to name our children. Hosea had to name his children. Hey, this is my children. This is my child, not loved. Pleased to meet you, Betty, you know? Not loved, Betty. Betty, not loved, okay? Here's my other child, not my people. Well, that's a great name, you know? Anyway, it's just tough being a prophet. Just thought you should know that. But powerful illustrations. <laughs> Okay, And of course, um, as, as these prophets were articulating the heart of God with powerful illustrations, they also, predictive things came out. And of course, those, these are the things that we're astounded by. And, and, and there's actually several, or I say, a few of you who come from Jewish backgrounds and have been able to uh, share the Lord because of the, the, the prophecies there in these, in these scriptures that are part of the Old Testament, right? We're blown away. You know, it's Isaiah 7 that tells us that Jesus was going to be born of a virgin Mary. Isaiah 53, right, gave this, this whole um, picture of Jesus, the suffering servant. Isaiah 61, the nature of his ministry, you know, that um, uh, he, he would, you know, the Lord, um, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news to the poor and all that. We're blown away by Micah 5, where that's the prophecy about Jesus being in Bethlehem. And Zechariah, some of the most phenomenal prophecies about Jesus' last week. You know, chapter 9, that he would come in on a donkey. Chapter 11, that there'd be 30 pieces of silver involved. Uh, chapter 12 is where Jesus is pierced, or the prophecies that someone would be pierced and we'd grieve for him like a son. And chapter 13, that like the shepherd is struck and the sheep scattered. Just phenomenal stuff. I don't necessarily think that was their main goal. They were articulating God's heart to the people at that time, but in God's sovereignty, he allowed them to be predicting things that were phenomenal. Is this gift that we see so phenomenally recorded in the Old Testament, is it for us today? Is it for the church today? I say a resounding yes, yes, yes. And once again, I have to say to you, don't let the abuse or misuse of men keep us from doing the proper use according to God. And that's what we're about today and why we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 14. But my resounding yes comes from Acts 2, which of course is just a, um, a citation of Joel to a prophet. When Peter was preaching to the crowd, I know that Jonathan Frizz mentioned this scripture back in October when he also spoke on the prophetic. He quotes in, in um, Acts 2, verse 17, and this is a quote of Joel 2, 28 and 29. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
It's not just reserved for these kind of phenomenal prophets like Nathan, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea. Your sons and your daughters will, of all the spiritual gifts, what does he choose? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, okay? Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy, okay? I think it's absolutely a gift for today. Amen, okay? Okay, second question. What does it do (laughs) besides make your hair stand on the back of your neck up, you know? What does prophecy do? And this is where we get to... um, Paul's intent in the church and how prophecy works in the church today. Turn to 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. What does prophecy do? What is it intended to do? 1 Corinthians 14, 3. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, encouraging, sorry, encouragement and comfort. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening. Everyone say strengthening. Strengthening. For their encouragement. Say encouragement. And for their comfort. Everyone say comfort. Okay? That is the purpose of prophecy in the church today. So lest you're a little bit weirded out by either the Nathan story or the story I just shared, hey, just know that the norm of prophecy is strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. You know, you've got to be really sure. If you've got a Nathan word for someone like you're going to rebuke, that's really probably not reserved for anyone in this room, maybe one or two people I can think of who've been walking with the Lord long enough to have the authority to give that kind of word. Mostly what we should be doing with the gift of prophecy is strengthening, encouraging, and comforting each other. Let me tell you how strengthened and encouraged I was back in August of 2007. I was in my final throes of deciding, should we do this church plant? You know, I've been invited to lead the harbor. And I said, God, is this you? We were overseas, actually, uh, so I, I take it back. We were, it was July. We were in North Africa. We were visiting a team that actually the Navigate School <laughs> will also visit this summer. And the leader of that team had no idea that I was thinking about leaving my career of teaching and starting this deal as a pastor. And uh, this team leader starts to pray for me. And he says, I can just see you. I see you gathering a small army. I see you gathering a large army. He just starts to pray, and this kind of vision of me leading an army starts to take place. And I was just like, God, you are funny. Stop it, you know? That's too, too specific. That's not good. But man, did I get strengthened and encouraged. Before we get to the how part, I just want to address the why part, which brings me to this jersey that I'm wearing today, okay? Because some of you may not be at the place of how do I do it still, hey, whoa, why? Why should I be about this? And I got a few answers for you. First one, actually, I'll get two. First answer is, we need all the power of God to do all that he's calling us to do. You know, as we've talked about during the Journey into 2010 series, kind of December 27th to January 10th, there's a, di- there's a diabolical assault on your life. You know, those tapes that you hear playing on your mind, I'm not good enough. This won't work. I don't have enough money. How are we going to do this? But all, the, all the diabolical assault that's on your life. That needs to get countered, you know? And boy, does it get countered. You, know, you just heard some of the stories. Boy, does it get countered when there's a prophetic word. You know, even if it's without, you know, those are all kind of have this word of knowledge element that we find pretty astounding. But even if it's just kind of run-of-the-mill, <laughs> strengthening, encouraging, and comfort, we get, com- we, 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 um, we prosper, and it's wonderful. So the reason you want to, if I can ask you the why should I be wanting to do it, is A, because we need all the power of God to do what he's called us to do. And secondly, just to obey scripture. 
Look at what it says back in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. It said, but eagerly desire the greater gifts. But eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now, before we move on, what is a greater gift? In Paul's understanding, when he says a greater gift, what is he saying? Is he saying the fantastic gifts, like healings and miracles? I don't think so. What was, if you, as you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, what made a, a greater gift a greater gift? Come on. We got, we, got some, we got some Gordon students here. We got some seminary students here. Come on. What made it a greater gift? Look. Well, let me just, let me repeat this back to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So what makes a greater gift? Okay. Thank you, Eddie. A gift that you share with others that's for the common good. So for him, that's why prophecy is more, is greater than, say, tongues, which, you know, we kind of go, tongues, what's that all about? And that's kind of fantastic. But he's saying a greater gift. And what's he saying? He's saying we're to eagerly desire, eagerly desire. When I go to a Bruins game, there are a lot of people there who eagerly desire for the Bruins to win. They've painted their faces. They've taken off their jerseys. They've painted their chests, Right? When I go to a weeknight game, it's really funny when they put Joe, um, finance guy, still in his suit, and uh, he's, you know, on his seat with a towel, and he gets on the jumbotron. That guy's eager for the Bruins to win. <clears throat> or Joe Plummer, he's still in his coveralls. He's got two beers over here, and yeah, you know, he's excited. They're eagerly desiring a Bruins win. How weird would it be if me and my little jersey sat in my little chair, and I said, okay, that'd be okay if they won, you know, I'm... I can, I can accept that they might win. You know, come on, what kind of fan is that? So I accept, you know, I eagerly desire, right? But we do the same thing. We read eagerly desire, and we kind of say, hey, that gift is, you know, it's okay if someone else does it, you know? That's okay. No, Paul's saying eagerly desire. Eagerly, why? Because it's for the common good. What does he say a little later? 1 Corinthians 14.1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. He wants us to eagerly desire it, okay? So we go to the... How do we do it? How do we do it? Uh, we'll, we'll do this fairly quickly. <clears throat> Lecture, then lab. Okay, how do we do it? I like to say we get mad. Okay, we get mad. M, motive. Okay, you're wanting to prophesy. You want to encourage someone. You're wanting to strengthen somebody. You're wanting to comfort them. You get mad. Not really. That's just a little acronym here. Mad, first thing, motive. You check your motive. Okay, we've read 1 Corinthians 13. I'm sure you have. You check your motive. Are you really trying to love this person? Or... You know, what comes up in me is, do I just want to seem spiritually um, cool, you know? Am I, am I wanting, like, that powerful word, you know? Do I want the powerful word that'll shake the person? No, my heart should be, I want to love this person, right? If you just want to go out with a person, then just say, hey, can we go out? Don't, don't, do, a, don't do a religious thing and say, I feel like the Lord says, I, he, <laughs> he loves you, and so do I, you know? Don't do that, okay? Make sure it's clean. That's why sometimes if there's a little noise in there, if there's relational noise going on, then you pull in someone else, get, get a third person, all right? But you want to uh, check your motive, okay? And can I just say, just, I'm looking at Chris Walbridge there, and I say, can I say a quick note on the, um, on the uh, hey, I have to shatter the heavens, you know, when I share this encouragement to someone? I was in Vermont two weeks ago, and um, 
Chris was getting me to meet his youth pastor. And his youth pastor has been in a tough situation. His name is Steve. Steve's been in a church without a senior pastor for uh, a year and a half. Is that right? A year and a half. And Steve just kind of held the ship down. And, and, you know, anytime I hear about pastors in New England kind of having a hard time, you know, this thing rises up and he says, yeah, let's encourage them. Wah. So, you know, it's, it's Wednesday morning. We're going to meet Steve. And I'm having my time with the Lord. I'm in this little um, conference center. And I'm like, Lord, what do you have for Steve? You know, give me the earth-shattering vision that'll ah, encourage him, you know? Nothing, nothing, nothing. And, you know, finally, I get, you know, I've got to leave now. I start to walk down this um, beautiful, just imagine kind of snow-covered trail, pine trees, Lake Champlain's right over here. Absolutely beautiful. Chris is coming to pick me up down the street. Driving with Chris will make you want to get life insurance, just so you know. But, um, <clears throat> thank you, Chris. But as I'm walking down the way, you know, this, just a little snowfall falls down on the back of my neck as I pass under this tree. And it's beautiful, you know, because it glimmered in the sun. It came down. I said, oh, that's cool. I said, God, that, that's like your favor. I just feel your favor on me right now. Boom, like a little, you know, dust. I don't know. And, um, <clears throat> and then right after that, I felt like God said, share that with Steve. And I'm like, God, are you kidding? That's so corny and cheesy. And that was just between you and me. And what are you doing? All right? <laughs> And, you know, I'm thinking, hey, I want to model ministry for Chris. You know, we're going to go, and we're going to pray for Steve. And Chris is going to see Pastor Neil have a powerful word. It's going to change the universe, you know. <laughs> and all I have is this thing. So we go in, and, you know, we have a great time visiting. Love this guy. And, you know, I say, hey, Steve, this might be a little weird. But, um, hey, I feel like God said, you know, you've got the favor of God on you. Just like snow falling from a tree, you know. Great, thanks. Okay, great. You know, whatever. Anticlimactic, we leave. <sighs> Anyways, I feel like oh, I didn't really model anything for Chris, whatever. I get an email this week. Steve has emailed me, and he says, the, new, the interim pastor, the interim lead pastor has taken his position, and he opened the Bible, started the meeting, and said, let's look at Psalm 133. Psalm 133 says, you know how blessed it is, it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like oil on Aaron's beard. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon falling on Zion. Mount Hermon is the largest mountain in Palestine. Snow, you know, comes down. And he said, when I read, when, when, when Pastor opened up this Psalm 133, I thought of your word, and I just said, yes, I've got God's favor. Isn't that great? I said, thank you, Lord, you know? Even though it was little, the key is that we just go for it. Anyway, so your motive is clear, all right? A, we're going to run through this, ask. Okay, you just pause, and you say, God, what do you want to share with this person that will encourage him? <clears throat> Jeremiah 33, 3 says, call to me, and I will answer you with great and unsearchable things you do not know. Take him at his word. Forgot to put that in there. Psalm 130, 5 and 6 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I put my hope, right? My hope isn't in, hey, can I be spiritual enough to encourage Sarah? My, my, you know, Sarah comes up to pray, say, Lord, what do you have for her? My hope's in your word. You give me something that will encourage her. An illustration, a picture, a, a scripture, right? And so we just ask, we just ask, we just ask. And the last thing, let's talk about delivery. <laughs> Paul gives us some good checks about delivery, how we deliver the word we want to give to someone to encourage them. <clears throat> now, I want you to know, uh, so Paul here is kind of envisioning kind of this kind of corporate worship service. And yes, I want to see more of the prophetic happen in this worship service. And I feel like where we're at as a people, you know where the greatest place is to start to grow in this gift? John, where is the perfect place to grow in this gift? Yes, okay. It is in a faith group because it's a safe place. You know each other, okay? And um, it's just a safe place to do it. It's in a small group, okay? So, so 
As I read 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let's take some of the principles. Two or three prophets should speak and the other should weigh carefully what is said. That's the good news. When someone comes to you and says, Gamble, I feel like, you know, I see, blah, blah, blah. The cool thing is Gamble gets to weigh carefully what is said. He doesn't have to take it as gospel truth. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. Again, they're just kind of working out, hey, like, just yield to each other. For you can still... Sorry, if you can all prophesy in terms that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. In other words, we're not just blah, blah, we don't have to say whatever comes, right? We, we can be orderly. For God is not a God of disorder. He is a God of peace. Okay, so I'd say some of the principles we can take from that is when you're sharing, hey, you know, I feel like I've got this little picture for you. It might mean something to you. The principle is, you know, you do in order. The principle is you're submitting it to them. That person gets to weigh whether it's true or not. And you just all get to learn. You're blessed together. You know what I'm saying? It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it's okay to be off sometimes. You know, I, I, was with a, <clears throat> I was with someone this week. I was praying for them before I met with them. And I just felt like God gave me the name Henry and the nickname Hank. So you know, I came all excited. And actually, I was a little nervous because <laughs> I'm trying to still grow in this stuff. So I was like, hey, um, you know, we're in our conversation. I said, hey, I know this is random, but does the name Henry or Hank mean anything to you? She said, No. Right, cool, cool, cool. Okay. My point is, it's okay to be wrong. And, um, you know, I, I, I feel like it was the voice of God. You know, as I've gotten older, I feel like I can discern pretty well between my flesh, between the enemy, between just other noise, and what is the voice of God. So I'm kind of like, God, what's the deal here? And kind of the response that I felt like God gave was, hey, I'm just, just always making sure that, that your reputation is on low, you know, and that, and that you'll obey um, when I ask you to. And so, um, that, you know... <clears throat> We can do a whole thing about how to rationalize this and all that, but all I know is I want to keep eagerly desiring prophecy, keep going for it, and watch people get encouraged. Because the more we do it, then the more we can be trusted with it. Amen?